Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code podcast for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Stravito. Stravito is a user-friendly enterprise insights management platform purpose-built for high adoption and impact. To learn more, check out their website at stravito.com. That's S-T-R-A-V-I-T-O.com. It's Lenny Murphy. Welcome back to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. This is going to be a fun one, and you'll understand that here very, very shortly. So my guest today is Dave McGowan, the man, the myth, the legend, the bibliosexual. Dave, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah, g'day from, <laughs> from an Aussie in Bangkok. I'm well. Good. And, uh, and, and recently back to Bangkok after uh, an extended stay back in uh, Australia due to COVID, right? Yeah. Went down for a couple of months to visit our kids down there and got trapped for 18 months, which is pretty much sums up COVID world, right? <laughs> Although I have to say, if you're going to get trapped in any city of the world for 18 months, Sydney would be one of the best ones. So no complaints. Duly noted. Duly noted. Now, I'm going to add some color to this in a minute, but for those who don't know, can you give the audience a little bit of your background? Sure. Well, as I say, I'm an Aussie, uh, lived in Asia now for 26 years. Mostly I've worked in my career for McCann, the global ad agency, where amongst other things, I was the head of insights and strategy for Asia Pacific, working and living across different places like Thailand, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Left that company after nearly 30 years in 2015 and, amongst other things, started up Bibliosexual as a sort of consultancy that I like to say looks at the crossover between people, media and brands. And basically what I do now is help brands figure out what their story is. And, of course, that involves doing a lot of market research and using different types of tools to help figure out what those stories are going to be. And now... I met you probably, it was uh, 2015. It was SMR in Atlanta. So I think you were either about to leave or had left. And uh, for the audience, if you really want to get to know Dave, you can look at some of his video presentations on my mother's throne room, where he has used the toilet as an analogy, or maybe not an analogy, but as a, a focal point for telling a story about uh Lots of things and has been known, has been known to do his presentations just in his underwear and on the importance of underwear. So if you want a real experience, I've seen it up close and personal, probably a little too, uh, too up close, actually, for my uh, my, my weird uh, North American sentiment. Uh, but <laughs> they're a lot of fun. Yeah, it, 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 long story, doing, doing versions of those things for a long time. Look, Lenny, let's face it, you're, you're a bit of an exhibitionist when you're up on stage and talking to people anyway, right? So, so you get this. And a long, long time ago, so before I got into advertising and at market research, I was 
I was a children's storyteller for 10 years, working in public libraries in, in Sydney back in my 20s. And one of the things I learned about being a storyteller for little kids, anybody like you, Lenny, that ha- has had little children, is it's the toughest audience in the world, right? So it's never just about the story. It's about the way you actually perform the story. And when I got into the advertising world, of course, I got confronted by some pretty amazing storytellers that I had to compete with. But more importantly, when I, when I also at the same time got more and more involved with the market research world, ah, there, there's a niche here because really intelligent people, not so good at telling stories. So I got a bit outlandish with, you know, yes, telling stories about the history of men's underpants or about toilets and why toilets are the great social media, et cetera, or how everything you want to know about consumer insights can be told by about the way in which you brush your teeth. And I use those to help bring audiences alive, but also to sort of make sure that they get a message that is a bit entertaining, but also has something behind it. And you are a master of it. So uh, definitely looking forward to this conversation. But now let's get, get a little more serious, though, because the past few years, it seems as if you've been very focused on the opportunities for brands to focus on aging populations and really kind of an evangelist of saying, hey, you're, why are you ignoring this growing population, especially in Asia? They have some expendable income. You know, they're still uh, absolutely buying stuff and they've got a long time still to go because science and medicine now allows that to happen. So give us a little insight into why you've become so passionate about that and your sales pitch, if you will, on why this is overall an important topic. Well, first of all, it's got nothing to do with the fact that I am now officially old and gray, okay? My real interest in this subject started in 1988, so it's quite a long time ago. In 1988, I was working in Sydney and working, as I mentioned, for McCann, the global ad, ad, ad group, but I was like the insights manager for Australia. We had five offices in Australia, and every Friday in those days, where I used to use the way in which we used to communicate was fax machines. Some of the audience may remember what a fax machine is. And one of the things I used to do every Friday was I used to pick some piece of research that I'd read in the previous week and summarize it into a one-page fax and send it to all of our staff across our five offices. And it was a sort of like Friday, here's something to think about over the weekend, right? And one Friday, I sent out a note because I'd been reading about the latest census findings from the Australian government. And in that latest census findings in the, in the mid-late 80s, they had, amongst other things, done some projections. And they'd been projecting 25 years from now, what will Australia's population look like? And one of the things they pointed out was that in 1988, they said in 25 years' time, which would be 2013, Australia's population is going to be older and maybe smaller than it is. Now, by the way, as it turned out, Australia's population did not age. It has aged, but not as much as they projected, and it hasn't shrunk. It's kept on growing, but that's because the government, in reaction to that report, increased immigration, okay? And as you may know, when you increase immigration, you don't reverse ageing or shrinking populations, but you slow it down. But what was interesting was this. I sent out this fax to all the staff across the five offices in Australia, blah, blah. The middle of the next week, 
one of the most senior managers in the company comes in. And, and at the time, I was a relatively, you know, I was just a middle-level guy doing his job. And one of these senior guys who'd never walked into my office space before storms in a few days later, what the hell have you done with that stupid note you sent on Friday? What do you mean, what did I do? Now, working in an advertising agency, of course, some of the account people were a little bit lazy. And so a lot of them would do this. They would get the facts I would send out on Friday and without even reading it, would then just say, hey, this is interesting, right, this is interesting, and send it on to their clients, okay, as a way of engaging clients and saying, oh, look, McCann is keeping up with knowledge. Somebody had done that, and this guy storms in and says, what have you done? One of my biggest accounts is going, has told me that because of that note, they're going to stop advertising. I said, what? And he goes, yeah. They've read your note and you're, you're saying that the population's getting really old, so they won't have a market in the future, so they should stop advertising. Now, the client was a little toy car company, you know, little, little model toys, right, and that sold to kids, and they were cheap. You used to go to the corner stores or the news, you know, the, where you bought your newspapers and there'd be these stands of like for a buck you'd buy you know, your kid a little, you probably had tons of these when your kids were little, right? And I just went, look, no, 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 I think something's gone wrong here. You know, they didn't read it, right, whatever. So I had to go front to the client with him and a few days later. And what I had to explain was this. If you have an aging population, that is not a problem for a toy company. That is gold for a toy company. That means an aging population is the best thing that can happen to a toy company. Why? Because it means if you have an aging population, grandma and granddad or multiple grandmas and granddads and perhaps multiple great-grandmas and granddads are going to be around longer. More importantly, there are proportionally more grandparents to fewer grandkids. Now, what does that mean? If you have a lot more grandparents to a lot fewer kids, it means that those kids are going to get spoiled rotten with more and more gifts by competing grandparents. Now, that company, by the way, never really latched onto this and never really did anything. But I'll give you a, what company can you think of that has really, in the last 20 years, latched onto the idea that not necessarily just grandparents, but more and more people are going to buy more and more expensive toys? Lego. Lego, exactly, right? And Lego have caught, caught onto the fact that if you say to somebody like me, who in my 60s just, Massive Star Wars fan, you know what? I can't wait to buy Star Wars kits for my kid when he, my son when he was young, or my nieces, or my great grand, my great nieces and nephews, my brothers' grandkids, right? And you know what? A hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, so what? Now that's a lot different from spending a buck on a toy car, right? And one of the things that taught me was, wow, this aging thing is going to happen. Now, at the same time, I was also involved in doing some work with our Japan office. And Japan was, was and still remains sort of the leading edge of the aging society thing. Still the oldest population. It has been for a long while. It's, and, and it's been leading the way. And well, this is what the world is like with an aging population. And so, so I started to study that more. And then over the years, I started to do more and more work looking at what aging populations meant for brands, what it meant for the way in which brands should act, or what, what it meant for market researchers and what they're doing or not doing in many cases to understand those populations. 
eventually I lived in Japan for 10 years, worked there and worked with some brands and did some interesting stuff of getting them to rethink what are they going to do about 60, 70, 80-year-olds as target markets. Everything from simple things like Listerine and getting the Japan market. Listerine, Japan was the third biggest Listerine market in the world, but a flat market. Until we convinced the managers of the Listerine brand on the back of the pack to just put a single line change that talked about the fact that for people over 60, washing a brush, oh, sorry, rinsing your mouth every day would help reduce gum disease. And gum disease is the number one reason why older people lose their teeth, right? Well, we gained two market share points in a flat, in the biggest, second biggest mouthwash market in the world in a flat market. And we gained two market share points just by doing that. Or I worked with Tokyo Disneyland, which was one of our biggest clients, and we're having their 25th anniversary. And we convinced them that we've been noticing on our visits, one of the great things about when Disneyland was one of your clients was you got free trips to Disneyland, right? And as we walked around, or me and my staff, or my, some people I sent out there, we looked around, we kept, they kept, people kept on coming back and sort of saying, you know, I'm seeing a lot of older people there. And when they say older, they mean people in their 60s and 70s, and not with their grandkids. But like, you know, people at 70 years of age, as a couple, going to Disneyland on their own. And you go, eventually we interviewed a few, and we found out, well, that's because 25 years before they had taken their kids what they were doing was reliving the memory just by themselves, okay? And so we started doing promotions, targeting packages for older couples to relive the memories, relive the romance, et cetera, et cetera. We did the same thing with airlines and all sorts of companies. And what that meant was that I sort of started to see the, the, the gap because while I was convincing some people to do it, I was also getting a ton of resistance. And, and a ton of not just resistance, but really stupidity from different people, marketers, market researchers, advertisers around the way they thought about older populations. There's a lot to unpack there. And I'm, sometimes I wish that our audience could see us because I was nodding prodigiously. And as somebody who is now aging, right? I mean, I'm, I'm 51 now. So we're all aging, Lenny. We're all aging. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but moving more into that demographic that you're talking right. about, even though I have young kids, the right. uh, a lot of that resonated. So what's interesting, well, here's a, here's a question for you or, or something for us to unpack. Observationally, the, let's call it the millennial and Gen Z population, they seem to have different priorities and buying habits than Gen X and, and boomers which I think is going to be a real challenge for many brands across the board for a variety of reasons. One of their priorities that I've noticed is that they are not as money motivated in many cases. So the drivers of what we think of as success of having expendable income, doing those things don't seem to be at the tip of the spear motivationally for those populations. I mean, they just don't buy as much stuff, but we do, right? So I would argue that that there's a, a lot of merit in focusing on the age populations because we are still primary drivers of the economy overall. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case as far as expendable income for these other generations. So what do you think? That that's it's, it's an observation. It's a thesis. It may not be right. No, you're perfectly right. Well, there's a number of things to unpack with that, right? First of all, you're perfectly right about expendable income. So if you look at any genuine studies done on any category, 
from cosmetics through to motor cars, right? You're going to find that in a marketplace like the United States, and let me assume that most of your audience is based in North America, right? In the United States or Canada, 50% plus in spend on any category is people over the age of 60. Think about that, right? Whether it's cosmetics, whether it's uh, groceries, whether it's entertainment, whether it's motor cars. I mean, again, going back to the late 80s, early 90s, back back home in Australia, when I started getting interested in all this stuff, I was fascinated because one of our biggest clients was General Motors. It's called Holden in Australia, but it's the General Motors' own company down there. We were selling cars, all sorts of cars for them, doing the advertising for them. I was involved in researching it. And I went one time and got interviewed the biggest car dealership in Australia. And one of the senior managers of the biggest car dealership in Australia explained to me a simple fact. He said, I don't care where you are in the world. He said, I've traveled the world. I've gone to America, Europe. I've dealt, seen dealers everywhere in the world. And I can tell you this, the people that we really care about are people that are 55 plus. And it doesn't matter, right? He said, because we sell most of our cars to people that are younger. And the margin on those cars is not very much. The cars that have the big margins are the ones that guys over 55 buy. And why is that? Because at 55, the kids have graduated. They may be left home, but even if they're at home, they're taking care of themselves. So basically what's happened is the purse strings have loosened. And it's maybe the first time in their adult life, and I don't take this the wrong way, folks, but what he said to me was it's the first time in their adult life when the wife won't say no to a better car, a car that they just want to buy, right? And if you think about that, that's one thing. If you think about travel, for example, right, we've known in the airline industry, and I've had the good fortune to work, you do a lot of work over the years with some of the world's biggest airlines, American Airlines, Cathay Pacific, et cetera. And, and I can tell you that we all understand in the airline business that the front of the plane is where all the money is made. Now, guess what, Lenny? It's guys starting at around your age that get fussy about legroom, get fussy about space, get fussy, especially if it's international, right? And so suddenly it's like, yeah, okay, a lot of upfront is business class and that's paid by the corporation. But you know what? Get a hold of somebody in their 60s or 70s. And particularly, if, if I go back to my Japan example, for a couple of decades there, when a, a Japanese guy retired, it used to be at 60, now it's 65, and it's slowly leaking up like everywhere. But traditionally, at 60 to 65, you retire, and the first thing you do is you take your wife on a holiday to Hawaii. Now, in Japan, quite often, that was the first time you and the wife have had a holiday alone together for 30 years. And so what you do is you go and you go to Hawaii for that trip and you get fussy about that trip because it's the big end of one part of life, beginning of the next part of life. And so you get fussy about, well, maybe Hawaiian Airlines is doing a special, so that's fine. But then you get fussy about the hotel, the package, what kind of tour package, what restaurants you're going to go to. You know, you don't want to go to Hawaii and just eat McDonald's. You want to go to Hawaii and have the proper, uh, you know, big feast. You want to get the chance to go on the boat that sits out there and looks back at Honolulu, all that sort of stuff, right? And we found that in category after category. Now, that's not just me making this up. There's a lot of statistical evidence about this that most money in any category gets spent by people 
somewhere between 55 and 60 plus, right? The other thing you mentioned is, and, and I, I just get a little bit bugged by this, it's true that young people, for example, we hear a lot about the fact that young people are very conscious consumers. They worry about things today, about things like the effect of the environment. What do you, what's your company doing about these things, right? Lenny, no offense, but when I was in uh, leaving high school in the mid-70s in Australia, guess what we were doing? If you go back to the 60s and the, and the 70s, today's what we call boomers, right, were very, very, very environmentally conscious. By the way, no pop generation has ever protested more than that generation. And so that's not necessarily a thing about young people today are different. It's young people are like that generation after generation after generation. The only thing that stops them being like that is when they live in an era of real economic hardship, when they can't afford to be fussy, right? But having said that, go back to the main point, older people is the significant growth area. And what most brand managers or marketing managers or market research managers that I've talked to sometimes forget is this. There's a misbelief that, oh, you know, when somebody gets to 55, 60, 65, they stop buying stuff, right? Now, that used to be true. If you go back 30 years ago, you'll find that people at 65 back in the late 80s did stop buying stuff. They bought a refrigerator or a new TV about the time they retired, and they made that last till they died. Now, one of the reasons for that was that at 65 in America 30 years ago, life expectancy was maybe another 15 years, average life expectancy, right? If you retire today in in America at 60, what's your average life expectancy? Oh, another at least 30 years. About 30 years, right? I'll give you an example. If you rang up a Japanese woman in Tokyo today and it was her 60th birthday, average life expectancy is 97, right? So literally, she has more than one third of a life to live. And we sometimes forget about that. So what's happening is, happened in the last 30 years is, again, think about when you were a kid, when your dad had came home one day and said a friend of his had died, and the guy had died at 60 or 65, they used to talk about, well, he lived a good life. Now, if anybody you know dies at 65, the response is, wow, that's really young, right? And that we've shifted our minds. So and you've got to remember that people that are now in their 50s, 60s, 70s are aware of this. They know they're going to live for another 30 years. They know that they're expected to have, you know, active lives for another 25 years. They're looking, what am I going to do? And so the whole mindset has changed. And so, and you've also got to remember too, We sometimes get confused. Too many people in marketing, when they think of older generations, they're thinking about their own grandparents when they were kids. And what they're not really looking around is the way in which life has changed. The best way to describe that is you'll remember that that generation that, that grew up before the boomers suffered from the Great Depression. And there's all that research that goes to show that they hated credit, right? They never wanted a credit card. It was always just what you could afford, right? People in their 60s today have grown up with credit cards basically their whole lives. They've grown up with active spending their whole lives. No generation has trialed and retrialed and retrialed new products as much as today's 60-somethings. 
They are the great trialist generation. In fact, there was some research, I think it was about six, seven years ago now from uh, at MIT, and one of the things they discovered was they maintained, if the research was done six years ago, they said that nobody under 25 had really experienced any new technology because all the technologies that have been invented, that we think of as new and everything were actually invented more than 25 years ago, right? Now, we've tweaked it, right? But I had a mobile phone 30 years ago, right? I introduced the first desktop computers for IBM in Australia 35 years ago. We've been playing with all these things. They've changed a little bit. But that 60-something generation is the generation that introduced nearly every major technology and adapted to them more than anybody else. They were the first to do it, the quickest to do it. There's a misconception that, that, you know, oh, old people don't get technology. No, the way in which you instruct them to use it has to be taken on board. It's not about they can't use the technology. It's not about they can't adapt. It's a way in which you teach them to adapt, right, that comes into play because that's what they're used to. So there's a lot of things, misconceptions about these older populations that are basically built on 30-year-old biases that just are not really tested. We're going to take a quick pause to highlight our podcast partner, Stravito. If you didn't know, Stravito is a user-friendly insights management platform, purpose-built for high adoption and impact. With Stravito, you can easily centralize, curate, and share your insights, enabling self-service access and increasing insights usage company-wide. Consumer behavior is complicated enough. Leveraging your insights shouldn't be. Learn more at their website, stravito.com. That's S-T-R-A-V-I-T-O dot com. And that is absolutely fascinating. And again, nodding my head prodigiously. And I think that there's, a, there's another factor to that, and maybe you can help unpack this. And I think that in the past that you've called it new life builders. For myself, I cannot imagine myself retiring, you know, not working, not contributing, not doing things. There may become a point, hopefully, fingers crossed, where I don't have to work, right, in terms from a financial perspective. But the desire to do things that are interesting and valuable and impactful, I don't envision that going away. I think actually my wife would not let me. She would, I would drive her crazy if I didn't have something to keep me busy. And because I'm an ardent capitalist, whatever that is, will probably have something to do with making some money because I, that's just a measure of value and impact. You've also got 20 kids to support, right? So, well, um... there's that too. There's that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll be buying a lot of Legos for a long time. We've got a lot <laughs> yeah. already, but <laughs> we'll yeah, be I doing know. more. I know. <laughs> so, the dreaded double barrel question one is that phenomenon of people not slowing down or, or, or downgrading their lives, so to speak, but actually entering into a new era of productivity. Is that a real thing? And secondly, what are the implications of that for marketers when, I guess to reiterate the point of like, th- this is an important population. Not all, They're not slowing down. They're entering into a whole new era of generating revenue, of financial impact, of economic productivity. So what do you think? Well, you're right. I mean, if you take the retirement thing, an old colleague of mine in New York, we were doing a global study on ageing and the way in which people thought about ageing a number of years ago. And and this 
colleague of mine came up and she said, Dave, I think what you're talking about is it's not retired, retirement anymore, it's retirement, right? And that perfectly sums it up for me that obviously there are differences, right? So if you look around the world, in, but also in the United States, for example, there are a lot of people that as they approach the traditional retirement ages of their mid-60s, you know, can afford to step back from what they norm, what they were doing, maybe do it part-time, maybe try something different to earn money, look at different ways to uh, earn the cash, right? There are other people that have to keep on going because particularly in the US, maybe more so than my home country, Australia, where we have, you know, forced pension funds called superannuation funds, uh, et cetera. But, you know, there's a lot of people that can't afford full-time retirement, especially if they, when they put their, you know, the thinking hat on, they go, oh, you know, I'm 63 and uh, the stats say that a guy like me should live for another 25 years. And my wife is going to live for another five years beyond that. Mm. So how much is that going to take, right? So one of the things is the common way to say it is not touch what we've got, right? Just keep on, keep on making enough to keep on living. Maybe we've got some stashed away. Maybe we don't have so much. But how do we make enough to keep on going, right? So that's happening. The other thing that's, that's, of course, changed is because we have an awareness that it seems like more people are living for longer and we're surrounded more and more with stories about people who seem to be living longer but living well, right? Now, if you think about it, this really got started through the cosmetics companies who about 15 years ago, first in Japan, a company called Shiseido, which is the second or third biggest cosmetics company in the world, but then through L'Oreal and, you know, other companies around, cosmetics companies around the world, sort of figuring out that, wait a minute, we already know that women over 60 spend disproportionately high amounts of money. They don't buy a lot of cosmetics. They buy the ex- most expensive skin, skincare products, et cetera, et cetera, right? We also know that they're going to be around for, people are going to be li- around for a lot longer. And that what we saw was a change, a dynamic change where those, those cosmetics companies realized that women no longer wanted the, what I used to call, when I, and I worked on L'Oreal for years, and you know, I used to get in trouble for saying, oh, you mean they want to cover the cracks, right? And it's like, no, 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 it's not about covering the cracks. It's about, I just want to be myself. I want to continue to be myself, right? Now, that change came on board about, as I say, about 15 years ago. And what we started to see is a dramatic increase in the age of spokeswomen for cosmetics brands. Now, at the radical end, you've, you've got people like Helen Mirren and et cetera, you know, Jane Fonda, et cetera. But you've also got the, the regular, uh, you know, spokeswomen uh, that are now in, quite commonly in their late 40s and 50s, right? Now, if you go back 30, 20 years ago, I can tell you working on the L'Oreal business, all our spokeswomen were under 30, Right. And we've dramatically allowed that to age. Why? Because these companies understand, look, that's where the target is, right? It's not about they, they don't want to look 20 anymore. They don't want to fool themselves. They just want to feel good about themselves at whatever age they are. That leaks into this retirement retirement thing as well, right? The United States, South Korea, Japan, all sorts of developed countries in the world, one of the fastest growing industries is re-education for the people over 50, right? You often hear, you'll see this on the news, you know, in Atlanta or whatever, you'll see on the local TV station some story about some 88-year-old who's just got her PhD, right? 
And we all go, oh, that's cute. But look at the numbers behind it. For every one of those 88-year-olds getting a PhD, there's 50 people in their late 60s and 70s that have decided after 30 years to go back and get a PhD, quite often in something that was nothing to do with what they've been doing for the last 40 years, right? We're always looking for, what are we going to do with all this time? Yes, Lenny, I have no doubt, buddy, that I'll be talking to you in 20 years' time and, and we'll both be still fluffing around, making a bit of money, doing a bit of this, doing a bit of that, but you'll be doing less. You won't be doing the manic hours. You'll cut back a bit. You'll cut back a bit. And then it's like, what are you going to do? And one of the things that, of course, we've learned in the last 20 years, and I've got friends who took early retirement around 60, and it's like, oh, great, golf game's going to improve. And three months later, guess what? Their golf game had improved, and they're bored with it, right? It's like one of my closest friends, Dave, the first three months I was playing golf five days a week. Now I only do it two days a week and that way I enjoy it, right? And then I've got to find something else to do for the other seven day, uh, the other five days of the week, right? And so part of retirement is re-education, new hobbies, looking at maybe different types of work to do, either whether it's voluntary or real paid cash-up work, try new work experiences, right? Or it's things like what I call the exploration industry. So the exploration industry is basically everything from overseas travel to travel to uh, um, paid hobbies, et cetera, to going to do paid, you know, you know, I'm going to go to a pottery course at my local pottery school or whatever it is. It's experimentation industries, right, where people are exploring and experimenting with something new, something different. Because at 60, 65, you probably have up until your mid-70s very little in the way of fall off physically and mentally. I mean, one of the things about aging populations we've only learned in the last 30 years, because up until 30 years ago, not enough people lived to be 75, 80, 90, right? But now if you look at marketplaces like Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, the, Italy, the world's leading aging societies, so many people are living those age groups now that we now realize that basically there are what they call three cliffs in life. The first cliff comes at around 50. So the first cliff comes for women. It's got to do with, of course, the menstrual cycle and all that sort of stuff. And for men, and you will know this, you probably know, have noticed that around 50, there was a higher proportion of pe- guys you know who suddenly developed heart disease or high blood pressure or something like that, right? And we used to see this quite a lot where guys around 50 would just fall over dead. So that's the first cliff, somewhere around 50, right? So that's what I call the beginning of middle age cliff. Because middle age today is really about 45 through to 70. So out of 45, 50, you have that first cliff where there's that go for a health check and suddenly find out, oh, I've got high cholesterol. I've got to change my diet or tweak that. Maybe I better take up cycling. I don't know, probably not you, Lenny, but, you know, cycling, in, especially in Australia, the US and stuff has become in the last five years the huge thing for that sort of middle-aged guy to rediscover something to do, right? The next cliff comes in the early and the mid-70s. What we notice is that that's the point where actually up until then, the decline is very slow. And then what we'll start to see, if you haven't been taken care of, is more likelihood for the decline to, to take greater pace, right? And then, of course, the third cliff is basically these days in America, a guy like you, life expectancy is around around late 80s, Lenny, and like, you know, the third cliff is late 80s, and you literally spend the last year of your life sucking on a straw, you know, or 
if you're lucky, I hopefully will just fall over in the street dead one day, you know. But that's what it is, right? But what that means is, is that for marketers, they've got to start rethinking all this stuff about, look, people at late 50s through to mid 70s, there's a 20 year span where they want to do stuff. They want to try stuff. They're used to trying stuff. They're used to spending money and they just don't want to get bored, right? They don't want to get bored. So what are you going to give them? Is it new products? Is it new experiences? What are you going to do? Agreed. And there's a lot more to unpack there too. But there is, I'm reminded of a, a recent podcast that we did with Grant McCracken, the yeah. cultural anthropologist. Sure, and I know Grant. Yeah, he's a good guy. And we should have both of you on for uh Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, that would be a fun podcast. That would be fun. Obviously, he's talking about all of these macro dynamic changes impacting the world from a cultural standpoint. We didn't touch on this one, but I think it absolutely fits. And through the lens of you know, a point that that I was making, I think that Grant agreed, insights professionals can no longer rely on the conventional wisdom or the information that the view of the world that we thought we had built even a few years ago, you know, our segmentation models, our psychographic drivers, et cetera, et cetera. The world continues to change rapidly. 2020 was a sort of like catalyst for acceleration of a lot of those things, but it wasn't the only one. And this, I would argue, is another example of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we yeah, need to rethink sure. our questionnaires. We need to rethink our profiling. We need to rethink all of those things because this is a big honking macro trend. I'll give you two simple research-related examples. Surveys, right? So about 10 years ago, I did a little trick. I was getting ready for a conference and I was going to be talking about aging population. So what I did was I was in the fortunate position in my old corporate job of controlling fairly large budget research budgets. So I rang nine, I think it was nine of the world's largest research companies. You know who I'm talking about, right? And I said, look, I want to do a multi-country study where I want to talk to the whole population about X, Y, and Z. Can you send me a proposal? And the reason I did it was because when I got the feedback, they all talked about the fact that, yeah, well, okay, well, we're, we're going to study everybody from 15 up. Yeah, fine, because a lot of countries you couldn't do surveys with people under 15. Get that. Every one of them stopped at either 59 or 64. Every one, right? And when I fed back and said, no, I said, I want to do the whole population. Oh, yeah, but, you know, we don't do people over 64 because they don't buy stuff. Or we don't do people over 64 because, they, get this, but because most of our surveys are electronic and they don't know how to use computers, right? So my first answer is, well, that's your problem for using inappropriate technology, right? Think about what the people use. A few years later, I checked back again, and most were now doing open-ended, right? But here's the other problem. They would do segment breaks of 15 to 20, 25 to 30-year-olds, 30, 30 to 35-year-olds, you know what I mean, right? But then it was still, and then 65 plus. And so what they were basically saying was that when I turned 65, God bless her, she's not with us anymore, but if my mother was still around and she was 30 years older than me, you were saying that my mother and I were exactly the same people. We should be considered the same, right? Which is insane, right? Because you'd never say to a, you'd never say to your 25-year-old daughter, you're the same as a 55-year-old guy, right? That's insane. The other thing with doing the research is 
we've seen dramatic change. You, you know, you've been great. The last, you know, you're one of the leaders in terms of highlighting technology coming into research and how we're going to use technologies in different ways. But what I'm seeing is, is there's still this barrier with, but what are the technologies you're going to use that are applicable to and easy to use and that are trustworthy to people of older age groups? And the reason I say trustworthy is privacy issues, that we know and you know that people over 50 are much more concerned about privacy issues than younger people, just as a general rule. And yet, we don't give them the sufficient insurance that the privacy is going to be there, right? No matter what platform you're doing the research on. So we have to think about who we're talking to and what's important to them. You know, my old mantra, what matters to those people? And reframe the way we do research to those different populations. And my one other tip would be this. When was the last time that I know a lot of market research companies, especially the big ones, will hire a lot of older people to do field work in some way, right, where they're still doing field work? You know, if they're still doing supermarket intercept interviews, oh, yeah, well, you know, you, you hire a bunch of 60-year-olds because they've got nothing else to do, right? That's fine. But when did you see research companies at all levels of all types hiring more people 60, 65 plus at all levels? You know, the Robert De Niro movie was not a joke. How many interns over 60 do you ever see? And yet you should be hiring interns over 60. There are people that want to learn the business, that want to get into something different, but more importantly, that can teach you how to think like the most dynamic population on the planet, which is the over 60s. Hallelujah, ma'am. Totally agree. Totally agree. So... We could go on for a long time. And for for audience, Dave and I, uh, we are friends. And so this is particularly pleasant just to have a chance just to chat and catch up overall. So I want to do it again because now we have an excuse, right, in our busy, busy lives. Well, I'll have to work on that so you don't necessarily start thinking it's always a pleasure. But actually, (laughs) we've known each other long enough that you know talking to me is not always a pleasure. But (laughs) in this case, uh, ditto. So kind of final words. And how can people find you and engage with you? So anything else you want to share and then give everybody your pitch on how to connect. Sure. Okay. So look, you know, I primarily work now helping companies figure out what matters to people and what's the story that they're going to put forward that matters to those people, right? Now, part of what I do is to get people to rethink about aging populations. And if you want to, uh, you can look me up on Google, whatever. You'll find there's a bunch of videos, there's a bunch of documents. Get in touch with me. Uh, I'm sure that we'll list my website and my email, you know, addresses or whatever underneath. People can, on the website can find there's some videos and some articles and stuff like that, whether it's about aging or if they want to see the toilet story, there's some about that as well. But importantly, you know, my message is is quite simply this, that whether you're in market research or you're a marketer or, or, or whatever, people get stuck on old beliefs, right? And they get stuck on myths that are incorrect. And my favorite myth is this. When you start talking about aging populations to any marketer, the glaze comes down over their eyes and they'll go, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. So, you know, I get it. But, you know, that's like a problem for 20 years from now. My problem is the next five years. 
Now, we know if you're a CMO, for example, in the United States, we know that the average CMO lasts less than five years, right? So that's right. They've only got, they've got a two, three years to make an impact. Why wouldn't you make an impact on the population that has the money and are dynamic trialists and spenders? Why wouldn't you do that first? Why do you waste money on young? No offense, but why do you waste money targeting young people? Because there is no evidence. There is no evidence that targeting young people leads to lifetime consumption and lifetime loyalty. No evidence. People change. They swap. They trial. And nobody swaps and trials more than 60 pluses. So give it a go. Let me know and I'll help you do it. (laughs) (laughs) There's the pitch. And hopefully those that are listening, I would encourage you to do that because this is fantastic thinking. Dave, We'll definitely have you back. Maybe we can pull off the uh, the joint session with Grant. We were actually we were chatting about forming a group, the Watchers on the Wall, of folks that are just observing these trends and trying to kind of be an advance warning to folks of wait, maybe you need to pay attention to this. So sounds good to me. Yeah, there you go. We'll have a conversation about the Watchers on the Wall. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners for spending this time with us. Dave, as always a pleasure, I want to give a good shout out to our producer, Karen Lynch, our editor, James Carlisle, the entire Green Book team that helps to make this happen, and also our episode sponsor, Stravito. That's it for now. We'll catch you on the next Green Book podcast. Bye-bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.